MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, September 9th, 2021. Today, new evidence emerges that the FBI predicted and circulated memos or emails about election fraud violence months before the insurrection. A judge in Florida rules that school mask mandates can continue. There are now five lawsuits against voter suppression bills in Texas. The House Judiciary urges Merrick Garland to criminally prosecute would-be vigilantes attempting to take action under SB8. And Brittany is free. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. A little bit of a correction. I said voter suppression bills in Texas. There's only one, but, you know. There's just a lot of lawsuits. It gets confusing. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of lawsuits and a lot of voter suppression things in the bill. But hey, yeah, good news today. And I know we don't normally cover this kind of thing because it feels a little extra. But Britney Spears' dad has filed a petition to end conservatorship after 13 years. And I couldn't be happier about this. Absolutely. I need all of the Free Britney people to get together with the K-pop folks. And I need you to focus on the recall election in California now, because clearly you know how to get shit done. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I had no idea the because I followed it. You know, we didn't really report or update about it on the beans, but I followed that whole story and just how terrifying and disgusting and sad for her. And then, you know, and then you start your mind starts thinking about uh, all these other uh, women and uh, who's and girls who are in conservative ships that have no control over their lives or their money. And just like it's or their bodies. I think she was told that she had to use contraception Mm -hmm. under her conservatorship. Yeah. So she wouldn't get pregnant again. Yep. I mean, that's crazy that I'm sorry to use that word. That is uh, ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on that, too. Um. We do have a big show today. We'll be talking to election security expert, as recognized by Hillary Clinton. Her name is Jennifer Cohn. Many of you know her from her appearances on Mueller, She Wrote, and The Beans in previous episodes. And she was live with us at Seattle at the Triple Door when we did our live show there when we were on the road. So we're going to be talking to her about what's going on in Brazil right now. And of course, we'll have the good news at the end of the show. Please send your good news in. We need it. I need it. You can do that at dailybeanspod.com. And click on contact. So ready to get into this today, Dana? Oh, yeah. Let's 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 give it to them. All right. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. And what I have determined is the lead story for my podcast today. Sorry, not mine. Ours. It's all of ours. But this show, I've picked the lead story. And today it comes from Betsy Woodruff Swan at Politico. An FBI intelligence analyst warned days after the 2020 election that stopped the steel rallies, one of which metastasized into the insurrection, could turn violent. The email warning from an analyst at the FBI's School for Bomb Technicians circulated through the Bureau and to some of its state and local partners on November 9th, 2020, just days after major TV networks called the election for Joe Biden. Its subject line was far-right chatter regarding election results. Quote, as Joe Biden has declared the victor in the 2020 presidential campaign, chatter from the far right indicates the belief the election was stolen from President Trump. That is what the FBI analyst wrote and then urged recipients to keep your head on a swivel. The FBI's analyst's message 
which had not previously been published, was obtained by the Watchdog Group Property of the People. And it indicates that federal law enforcement officials saw ample signs before January 6th that right-wing efforts to overturn the election results could result in violence. FBI Director Christopher Wray has testified before Congress that the Bureau tracked the threat from domestic extremists in the months before the attack on the Capitol. And the email gives new detail on what the FBI was watching. When the email went out, prominent officials and leaders in the conservative movement were promoting the Stop the Steal hashtag, citing the findings of Site Intelligence Group, that's S-I-T-E, which describes itself as the world's leading non-governmental counterterrorism organization focused on online extremist activity. The analyst wrote, militia groups are espousing increasingly violent rhetoric, expressing a new level of escalation by declaring the fight is now. On a popular militia forum, users called to execute Biden, Democrats, tech company employees, journalists, and other rats. And that's according to the analyst. And he went on to say QAnon and neo-Nazi groups are using election results to issue additional calls for action aligned with their specific ideologies. Then came the line that proved very prescient. And remember, this was written on November 9th. Nationwide rallies, waves of stop the steal, and similar hashtag events are being organized across the country as various voter fraud theories gain momentum among Trump supporters. As these materialize, counter-protests and violence will likely ensue. This email began circulating, like I said, in November of 2020. So now the question becomes, where was the failure? Did the FBI warn everyone sufficiently only to be thwarted by strategically placed Trump sycophants in the Pentagon and at the Capitol Police Board? Or did the FBI drop the ball? It is of note that a few weeks after the email went out, SITE published a report with a title that also sounded prescient, Far-Right Forum Urges Proud Boys to Overpower and Rush Police During D.C. Protests. Sounds prescient. <laughs> That's November, y'all. And CITE, S-I-T-E, is where the FBI said they put their January 5th memo as well. That's how they communicate with other intelligence agencies, etc. The text of the report, by the way, the one that says Far-Right Forum Urges Proud Boys to Overpower and Rush Police During D.C. Protests, that, the text of that is not publicly available, just the title. Seems to me the FBI did their diligence, and the Capitol Police Board leadership and the Pentagon either dropped the ball or, as I've been saying since January 7th, intentionally quashed the warnings. We will find out. And I, I look forward to finding out, because your beans are usually right about this stuff, A.G. I'm going to head down to Florida. A Florida judge ruled against Governor Ron DeSantis on Wednesday and allowed schools in the state to mandate face masks while the case is appealed at a higher level. The ruling from Second Circuit Judge John Cooper effective immediately means the state of Florida must stop enforcement of banning masks, of banning them, which ends sanctions against several school districts that have implemented such mandates. Mm. The decision comes amid heated showdowns between the state and some local school districts, which have insisted on requiring students to wear masks amid a surge of the COVID-19 infections, because they were. <laughs> In late July, DeSantis issued an executive order that directed the Florida Department of Education and the, De the Florida Department of Health to issue emergency rules giving parents a choice on whether their children should wear masks in class. The state threatened to withhold funding from districts and violated the order and required masks 
for everyone. Can you imagine like writing a, a, an executive order that says, parents, you now have the choice whether your children wear pants to school or not? Yeah. Like, I just don't get it. Well, apparently I didn't realize DeSantis was pro-choice in anything, but apparently it is for mask wearing. <laughs> so even so, there was 13 Florida school districts have now implemented a mask mandate without a parent opt out in defiance of the governor's position, which is a beautiful thing. Yes. In Wednesday's ruling, because they actually care about their students and their teachers. In Wednesday's ruling, Judge Cooper said that there is not enough irreparable harm to set aside the automatic stay triggered by the appeal. Now, this is a quote. It's undisputed that in Florida, we are in the midst of a COVID pandemic. Based on the evidence I've heard, there's no harm to the state if the stay is set aside. That's what Cooper said. He added, that based on expert witnesses, it is clear the only way to protect children who are unable to be vaccinated is to keep children isolated at home, which would cause additional harm. So it's either that or masks. Yes. Now, he said, it's undisputed that the Delta variant is far more infectious than the prior versions of the virus and that children are more susceptible to Delta variant than to the form a year ago. That's also from Cooper. Went on to say, in particular for children under 12, they cannot be vaccinated. Therefore, there's really only one or two means to protect them against the virus. Either stay home or mask. Now, Cooper added that based on the evidence, young students, quote, arguably have no way to avoid this except to stay home and isolate themselves. He said, I think everybody agrees that's not good for them. So the case is now going to go to the first district court of appeal. So we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully they uphold it. Indeed. Now, let's see. Let's go down here because the House Judiciary has written a letter to Merrick Garland urging him to take action on SB8 in Texas. And before I read you this letter, let me just read you something I tweeted out today. And I want you to know I'm still a Merrick Garland defender. I disagree with him on some things and I will voice those things. And sometimes when we voice those things, we get some movement. But I still do not prescribe to the we must have him fired or he must resign school or that he's just completely incapable of doing the job. There's still too many things that we don't know what his decision is on yet. Do you know what I mean? We don't know if he's going to refuse to prosecute obstruction of justice. We don't know if he's you know going to refuse to investigate or prosecute the leaders of the insurrection. We already know he is investigating that. And there's been a lot of proof of that in court filings and 302s. So I, I'm not an all or nothing, but I will definitely criticize him where criticism is due. And uh, my tweet today, if I can just pull it up here, because I'm, and I'm also biased. I'm also very angry about what's going on in Texas. Of and course. that's okay. I'm allowed to be. Absolutely. So, holy crap, I tweeted a lot today. Scrolling, <laughs> scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> Keep those doggies scrolling. Do, 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 do. Here we go. Oh, nope. That's my what I want to hear from Biden on the COVID stuff, um, which I can tell you. Here we go. I say I do not get it. I have been a Garland defender for a while, but how can the Justice Department file that weak ass legal argument to appeal the release of the, of the March 2019 bar memo, but not sue over SB8? Put on your original jurisdiction pants and ask the Supreme Court to repeal SB8, or at least try. And, and my, my point here is, is the legal arguments that Merrick Garland put forward, well, it wasn't actually Merrick Garland, it was, it was somebody else in the Department of Justice, but it came from the Department of Justice. The legal arguments he put forward 
in the the case to withhold that second half of that bar memo were weak compared to Judge Amy Berman Jackson's legal reasoning. They were just they weren't good. I don't think he'll win. And it was kind of a crap argument. So it seems like the Department of Justice is willing to give things a shot. So I don't understand why he doesn't just try. I think that they actually have a lot better legal argument in this case against SB8 than they did in withholding the second half of the bar memo. Anyway, let me read from this letter. Now, the letter is addressed to the Honorable Merrick Garland, says Dear Attorney General Garland. So it's not the Department of Justice. It's to Garland. We write to ask you to use the full power of the Department of Justice to defend a woman's constitutional right to choose an abortion and right now under assault by Texas Senate Bill SB 8. Because the department cannot permit the second largest state in the nation to deprive women of their constitutional rights by outsourcing the enforcement of SB 8 to private individuals, we urge you to take legal action up to and including the criminal prosecution of would-be vigilantes attempting to use the private right of action established by that blatantly unconstitutional law. This is so well written. As you know, SB 8 effectively bans abortion after six weeks of pregnancy, well before many women know that they're pregnant. This ban is a clear violation of a woman's right to choose an abortion prior to fetal viability established nearly 50 years ago under Roe v. Wade. SB 8 also creates a private right of action that allows any individual to sue not only reproductive health care providers that violate this statutory ban, but any individual who aids or abets the performance or inducement of an abortion in violation of the ban, all while specifically prohibiting state officials from enforcing the statute. Hmm. The private right of action is the law's most insidious feature. It represents an effort by the state of Texas to evade judicial scrutiny long enough for a clearly unconstitutional law to take effect. Indeed, in an unsigned shadow docket ruling late Wednesday, SCOTUS refused to even hold a hearing on the issue presented by this private right of action. Instead, over the dissent of four justices, including Chief Justice Roberts, the court denied application for emergency injunctive relief, specifically citing the plaintiff's failure to carry the burden on the complex and novel antecedent procedural questions presented by the law. By accepting the state of Texas's legal gambit, the court thrust the citizens of Texas into a regime that is as unsettling as it is unconstitutional. It awards a bounty, a minimum of $10,000 plus legal fees to any individual who successfully brings suit under the law. In Texas, women may now be reluctant to confide the fact of a complicated pregnancy and once trusted neighbor or coworker, family members, or any of whom might simply want a payday under SB 8. The perverse system is not only a chilling effect on a deeply private decision-making process that's essential to women's personal autonomy, but it's also just plain chilling. And our fears are hardly theoretical. Anti-abortion groups in Texas have already begun setting up anonymous tip lines to allow individuals to report their fellow citizens. Other states are preparing to enact similarly dangerous laws. As Justice Sotomayor wrote in her dissent, in the court's ruling, quote, it cannot be the case that a state can evade federal judicial scrutiny by outsourcing the enforcement of unconstitutional laws to its citizenry. Similarly, the Department of Justice cannot permit private individuals seeking to deprive women of their constitutional right to choose an abortion to escape scrutiny under existing federal law simply because they attempt to do so under the color of a state law. Indeed, the department is fully empowered to prosecute any individual who attempts under color of any law to deprive a United States citizen of any rights, privileges or immunities secured and protected by the Constitution. We were encouraged by your recent statement. The Department of Justice is deeply concerned about Texas SB 8 and that it's evaluating all options to protect the constitutional rights of women, including access to an abortion. Two generations of women have come to rely on the right to choose an abortion. That choice is deeply private and should not in any way be intruded upon by any third party, let alone a vigilante seeking a payday from the state. We urge you to act to protect the right to choose without delay. And then it's signed by every Democrat here. 
in the and I'm just looking through here. Joe Nikias Gregson, Ron Deere. Yep, every every Democrat in the judiciary. So cheers and applause. That was incredibly well written. Yeah, very uh, very good. Saying there is current federal law that should disallow this, and and you know when we talked to Steve Laddick yesterday, who says you know original jurisdiction and Texas sovereignty doesn't apply. Just saying, Lawrence Tribe also tweeted the same thing. And that's why I tweeted, put on your original jurisdiction pants. Yeah. <laughs> and just try to try to do something here, uh, you know, because like I said, if you can put forth that weak ass argument against Judge Amy Berman Jackson on that bar memo. No kidding. <laughs> the least you can do is try something here. And you have it's a better chance. You have a better chance here. Uh, hopefully we'll do the right thing. Not the right thing, the just the just thing in this situation. Yeah. Luckily, we've got people down in uh, Texas fighting these voter suppression bills as well. We've got civil rights groups. They've already filed a slew of lawsuits in Texas on Tuesday, kicking off what is expected to be an extensive legal battle mere hours after Governor Greg Abbott signed controversial voting restrictions into law. I think it was even less than hours. Like this first lawsuit went through very quickly. Uh, The NAACP Legal Defense Fund filed a federal lawsuit shortly after the bill was signed, arguing it intentionally targets and burdens methods and means of voting used by voters of color. We've also got the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law and Deckard LLP filed a separate suit in a state district court in Harris County on behalf of Texas State Conference of the NAACP and Common Cause Texas. And that's among others in that group. We've got the Latino civil rights groups, uh, the LULAC and Voto Latino also sued in a joint lawsuit with the Texas American Federation of Teachers and the Texas Alliance for Retired Americans, alleging that the new measures impose an undue burden on the right to vote. And we've got the American Civil Liberties Union brought its own lawsuit last week after Republican lawmakers passed the bill calling it extremist and anti-voter. And we have the AAPI civil rights group. OCA, just Asian Pacific American Advocates, Houston Chapter, the League of Women Voters of Texas, and others filed a federal lawsuit in Austin, while a Harris County elections official joined several community-based organizations in a suit filed in San Antonio. They are filing lawsuits across the state. So we're going to keep you updated on all these legal challenges, and they're going to keep coming, I'm sure, as they work through their way through the courts. Um, so let's just hope we can get the law blocked, you know, pending litigation and that current rules are left in place for till at least 2022. Yeah, that's my hope is that somebody will, some federal judge somewhere will say block the law from going into effect while it works its way through the courts. Yeah. And, you know, my only concern is that it goes up to the shadow docket who just lets it stand. I don't know. I, I we'll see. But this is my hope. This is my hope. Yeah. All right. We have the same fears, my friend. We have the same hopes and the same fears. Yeah. That having a having a Supreme Court purchased by dark money is very frightening. And we're yes, just starting to see the implications. All right. We'll be right back to discuss the global threat of authoritarianism started by Trump and how many of Trump's people are involved in other countries with election security expert Jennifer Cohn. Stay with us. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. They provide the best in professional online therapy. The counselors at BetterHelp are committed to helping you navigate life's challenges, and you know how important I think mental health is. They can assess your needs, and they'll assign you to an experienced, licensed professional within 24 hours, so you can begin communicating almost immediately. You know my own PTSD and anxiety has thrown up a lot of hurdles for me, but I've learned the importance of seeking help and support instead of trying to cope alone. And it's so hard to ask for help sometimes, but BetterHelp makes it easy. 
and convenient because therapy is always available anytime from anywhere in the world. You can just log into your account and message your counselor whenever and you receive timely and thoughtful responses. And you can also schedule weekly meetings over the phone or via video conference. And it's more affordable than offline counseling and financial aid is available. And changing counselors is easy and free. So visit BetterHelp's website and read testimonials like this one by user AM, who says of their counselor, Elizabeth is the kindest, most understanding and caring individual I've ever met. I was hesitant at first about therapy until I met her. She truly is a gem and an absolute blessing on this platform. I can't recommend her enough. But also, I I don't want all her spots to fill up because I adore her. Elizabeth truly is one of the best counselors I've ever met in my life. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. You can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Everybody, welcome back. I am happy to be joined today by someone whose face I haven't seen since we were on stage live together and maybe have done, I think, some interviews, but election security expert touted by Hillary Clinton for her important work. Please welcome Jenny Cohn. Jennifer, how are you? Hi, I'm pretty good. How are you? All things considered, I'm good. Doing all right today. And the reason I wanted to have you on is because of this monster thread that you put up on Twitter. And nobody in the mainstream media seems to be talking about this at much length. Granted, they have a lot to talk about right now with the fires and the floods and Ida and COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But talk to me about Brazil, because it seems to me what's happening in Brazil right now is a kind of a copycat of our January 6th insurrection and could also be considered a dry run for another attempted overthrow of our government, because there's a lot of the same people involved, aren't there? Well, that's right. I think that there is an organization and a structure to what happened in the U.S. and what happened in Brazil that is very similar. And that that similarity, that sort of um, similarity of players and the organizational structure of it, it has not received enough attention yet. And so, for example, um, Bolsonaro's son is is the leader of Steve Bannon's group called The Movement. And it was something that I had tweeted about several years ago, just noticing that Bannon was trying to sort of get his mitts on lots of different countries, not just the U.S. He wants to make his um, sort of Christo-fascist ideology a global pursuit. So yeah, so that's kind of screaming out. And I, I haven't really seen that mentioned much. And not only that, the fact that Bolsonaro's son, his name is either is either Edward or Eduardo, was also in Washington on January 6th and attended Mike Lindell's, you know, Stop the Steal symposium. It was really kind of a scam of a symposium where he would supposedly reveal proof of election fraud. And pretty much everyone agrees, including MAGA supporters who attended, that he didn't actually come up with that proof. But that's kind of a lot of a lot more coordination than, than can be really readily dismissed. And so, you know, we had that Reuters report, now Reuters being a partner of TASS, as you know, Russian media outlet, saying that there was no organization to the insurrection. And this really suggests to me that not only was there one in the U.S., but I think there was one in Brazil. And it's similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Oath Keepers right now, there's a couple of hearings actually today on a, a few of the Oath Keepers. And, and one is I know one has has pleaded out or pled out and is cooperating fully and, and talking about potential you know coordination with higher ups, a.k.a. Alex Jones, Roger Stone. They have been investigating that. We have evidence that the Department of Justice has been investigating those two 
and also, you know, members of Congress, as we saw in, in certain 302s that asked a lot of these conspirators, the, the ones being charged with conspiracy, if they had talked to or coordinated anything with members of Congress and any members of Congress. And I think it's really interesting, Jenny, that Cy Vance recently indicted uh, Ken Curson, who was a, a Kushner mm-hmm. friend and, and protege. And, and when he indicted him, and because Ken Curson was pardoned by Trump, then Cy Vance said, look, being pardoned is not a get out of jail free card here in, in New York state. And I think it's very interesting that he is also investigating Bannon, who was pardoned for his we build the wall scheme where he built Trump supporters for money to build the wall and then used it to pay for yachts and his personal stuff, him and three of his buddies. I'm wondering if like an indictment of Bannon could possibly help break up this hornet's nest of of CNP and the movement groups who are going around country to country trying to, like you said, enact their Christo-fascist sort of you know, concepts and overthrow the government and autocracy, dictatorship, etc. Um, I think it could. I think there needs to be a lot more public awareness that could then maybe trickle down to the intelligence agencies and the DOJ about the organizational structure. And you mentioned it, the CNP. So Bannon... Until re- until maybe a year ago, the only directory I had seen of the CNP was its 2014 directory. And there on, in the directory were Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway, both, and Jay Sekulow, all members of the Trump administration. And the CNP is, an, I did a whole long article on it. It actually is my most viewed article ever. And it was kind of a digression from my election security research, except to the extent that there have been a lot of really suspicious, you know, poll-defying and otherwise anomalous election victories that have served to empower and embolden the Council for National Null Policies goals, which are anti-abortion rights and anti-LGBTQ rights and anti-public education. And I think people really need to know that. So the CMP is an umbrella, which means, so it has all of these for the religious right and sort of the economic liberty billionaires like the Koch brothers, not just them, but that type of mentality. They really formed this alliance. Like the Koch brothers didn't care that much about the social conservative stuff originally. They were all about no regulations, but they formed this alliance and it's a really dangerous alliance. And then beneath, so then beneath the CNP are groups like the Federalist Society and the, and ALEC, which drafts model legislation and turning, they're they're the leaders of almost every major sort of right wing networking strategy proposition propaganda outlet you can think of, they belong to the CMP at one time or another in the recent past. Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA. Mm-hmm. A really dangerous one is the Leadership Institute. They provide actual training. They train people on, how, on messaging and communication, really in, I think, narrative spinning, creating fake narratives. And they train them how to use social media, how to use Facebook, how to use Facebook Live, how to give interviews, how to be on TV. We don't have anything like this on the left, but I think there was just a lot more training and coordination to the insurrection in the U.S. And I believe also to the one in Brazil, you know, the the protest in Brazil and to all of the public school board meetings and the assault on public schools with the critical race theory and the masks. I think there is a lot more coming from the top than people realize that they merge the two. It comes from the top and then they get people all excited at the grassroots level as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it, there is a top-down organization to all of it and it's all toward the same type of goals, Christofascism. Yeah, and a lot of these folks that are making these school board appearances or made appearances in or, or signed affidavits in the uh, you know the election fraud lawsuits or, or ran for Congress actually all sort of come from this one 
like a performer website and I can't remember the name of it, but it's 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 interesting that they all sort of come from what, you know, we, what we always heard Donald Trump say central casting. They all sort of come from this one. I think place. the GOP recruits. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, why don't the Dems have something like this on on the left, some of these groups that they have over on the right? You know, there's somebody who's in a lot of these groups that I want to mention who was detained in Brazil with a couple other people by the Brazilian Supreme Court, by the way, who's fighting Bolsonaro right now. Now, he was detained and questioned, but released. And I think Jason Miller said that that is what happened. And I want to talk more about that. But Jenny, I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yes, of course. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. A lot of you out there I know are entrepreneurs and makers and crafters and independent professionals. And wow, I respect you for soldiering through the past year. And I'd like to help make 2021 your biggest year ever. So if you're an entrepreneur or independent professional, now is the time to accelerate ahead of all your competitors. And I want to help you do just that. I got together with Proton, an app-based all-in-one tool for small businesses, and we're announcing an incredible free offer for you. Uh, More on that in one second. First of all, Proton is the smartest, fastest, easiest business solution I've seen for growing and managing your small business. And it's all within a single app. Through their fully integrated app, in just a few minutes, you can create your public profile to showcase your services. It's like LinkedIn, only better. Use Proton's magic mode to interact with PDFs and documents and images to make that engaging video to attract new clients. You can connect your calendar to provide hassle-free scheduling for your clients. There's no more back and forth phone calls or emails. You can manage your payments easily and get paid faster with easy and secure options through credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Venmo, and more. You can track your revenue and client analytics, too, to understand your business and your customers to help manage your sales and watch your business grow with one single dashboard to manage it all. And right now, Daily Beans listeners, you get Proton free. Yes, completely free. Visit Proton, P-R-O-T-O-N-N dot com slash Daily Beans, and that's where you'll download the app from. You can download the app in seconds. You can set up your public profile in minutes. Everything's at your fingertips. That's Proton, P-R-O-T-O-N-N dot com slash Daily Beans. Again, Proton dot com slash Daily Beans. And today's show is also brought to you by the best cereal in the universe. It's called Magic Spoon. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I had to give it up as an adult because it was full of sugar and junk that you shouldn't eat. That is until I discovered Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon tastes like the cereal we had as kids, but isn't loaded with fat, sugar, and chemicals. In fact, it's, it, it somehow has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. And each serving is only 140 calories. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And it tastes amazing, whether you're eating cereal with milk or some oat milk or some almond milk, or you're actually just eating it as a dry snack. And you can build your own box and get a variety pack with available flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. And Magic Spoon is bringing back two popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle. Make sure to get these. They're delicious. I love the new flavors and combining flavors is great, too. You can put cocoa with peanut butter and it tastes like peanut butter cup cereal. So go to magicspoon.com slash daily beans to grab your cereal that's delicious and try it today. And be sure to use promo code daily beans, all one word at checkout to save five dollars off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It has a 100 percent happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. So there's no risk. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt free cereal at magicspoon.com slash daily beans and use code daily beans to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring the episode. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with election security expert Jenny Cohn. And Jenny, before the break, we had alluded to the left not having this same kind of messaging or these these massive groups. But also, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Jason Miller and everything that he's involved in because he was picked up 
in Brazil by order of the Supreme Court, which, as I said, is like trying to fight against Bolsonaro. Right. So he was detained, he and several other people. And he, too, is a Steve Bannon protege. And in fact, he was reportedly paid about $20,000 a month for work done for a nonprofit that was involved in the fraudulent build the wall scheme, Bannon's build the wall scheme. He also is... I guess running. He's in charge of Getter, which is a new social media network. They're trying to mm. give Trump, you know, a new a new outlet to spew his hate. That's the Guo Wenwei joint, Ex- right? exactly. And that was yeah. the, that Chinese fugitive billionaire Guo Wenwei. That was his network, but they've just revamped it to try to make it the new Trump network. And they they brought that out in Brazil. So Miller happened, to, you know, coincidentally he and several others went to a CPAC conference in Brazil just a few days before, or just a few, several days ago. And then Donald Trump Jr., I don't think he's the nexus of this, all of this, by the way. I think they've actually, in some ways, latched on and, you know, the Trump family has latched on to a pre-existing structure and then amplified it and blown it up and added their own additions to it. But he was also planning on going to Brazil, but his plane apparently got detained, not because of his involvement in anything, but weather or the pandemic. And there was somebody else also, though, who was detained along with Jason Miller. And it was oh somebody named Gerald Brandt, who is Brazilian, but he's apparently partners with Bannon in the Brazilian The Movement. So he was detained as well on his way back. And one other guy, Matthew Tiermand. What was Tiermand involved in? I don't know. He was another. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. He's, a, he's, he's kind of in everything. too. Yes, he's kind of in everything also. And I don't know, in terms of breaking up these networks, I've really noticed that, you know, from my sort of overview, it looks to me like there were certainly two large pockets of planners, one in Pennsylvania and one in Florida. And within Florida, there's this remarkable nexus in Sarasota County, which is really strange because Steve Bannon, Mike Flynn, and Charlie Kirk all live there. They all live in Sarasota County. And the reason I came upon that was because I was actually looking at, you know, like a Moms for Liberty, I think was the name of some bogus moms group mm. there. And it's actually run by the wife of a guy who, of the vice president to the Florida GOP, who sent a bunch of buses to the insurrection. And they're in Sarasota, Florida. And then someone chimed in. There's just a lot of people looking at these things and they're an incredible resource if you can find them on Twitter. Yeah. Someone chimed in. Oh yeah, Mike Flynn lives there too. Oh, did you know that Steve Bannon does too? And so does Charlie Kirk. So they're all, there's like this, and Roger Stone has, and he's nearby circling around in Florida. So that's Sarasota. And then Steve Bannon also has deep connections to Pennsylvania, which sent a lot of buses through the Priot family. Right. There's two women who basically run the GOP over there, Alexander Priot and Liz Havy Priot. And there were a bunch of buses that were sent from Pennsylvania yeah. as well. And the Priots are defending Frank Scavo, who was just, something just happened with this case, like in the last day or two. And he's one of the people who organized a lot of the buses to the insurrection. Yeah. And that's really interesting because as we know, in Florida, they have a massive federal investigation going on in their sham candidate schemes where they would run a third party person who had the same name or a similar name to the Democrat. Exactly. And uh, they indicted Artiles and they just got Rodriguez to to plead guilty. And he's going, he was the candidate that was run and he's the one that was given $44,000. Oh, he pled guilty. I missed that. That must have been in the last. Yeah. So the candidate pled guilty. That's amazing. Yeah. And so he's cool co- and is cooperating with the feds on this. And they have said, the prosecutors have said that there are higher up Florida Republicans involved in this. And of course, I you know I'm thinking probably maybe Matt Gates, Joel Greenberg, but then thinking of all the other people who live in Florida, Bannon and Stone and whatnot, I can't imagine. But 
you know, that's all speculation. I also thought it was interesting, you know, with this whole core group, Miller, Guo Wenwei, um, who who I believe Bannon, yeah. there's a, a Bannon is, is tied of this. But Kawaja was uh, r- recently got a superseding indictment for fraud, for taking large payments from foreign entities and turning them into small payments so they couldn't be detected. He did it for Bernie Sanders. He did it for Hillary Clinton. He did it for Trump, too, but he hasn't been indicted for that. But that seemed like a, a shot across the bow because a lot of the money that was coming in belonged to Guo Wenwei. So it, it's like how many I feel like, again, like Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia with my big murder board and all the yarn and yarn and the string and like trying to like piece it all together. But these these things all seem very, very connected to me. They are. And I think it really it helps me anyway. If you think to try try mapping it out with the CMP at the top and see what you find, because I, yeah. I do think there's a lot of horizontal connections, but almost inevitably the leaders of these different groups or someone is is or was in the CMP and they, they meet like twice a year. And they try to corral all of their different resources. And if you go through one of their directories, they're all interested in, I think they called it campaign election technology, which, or election technology, which I originally thought meant voting machines, but it, I don't think it does. It's more like the micro-targeting that Cambridge Analytica and other groups, I mean, there's lots of other groups that do it too, but the, the big guns are all there. And then the smaller guns who are copycats are there too. And they, they do work to a degree in, in unison. It's, it's like Kevin Bacon with the CNP at most two, you know, <laughs> degrees of CNP. Exactly. Right? It would make a great board game if I had that kind of initiative to put it together. It actually would be pretty helpful. That would be fun. But yeah. And like I said, Cy Vance is, is investigating Bannon for We Build the Wall. And if Miller's money and PAC is, is somehow tied to that, Miller could be in trouble. And I imagine that, that Cy Vance is working with the D.C., U.S. attorney, who is the one who indicted Kawaja, because there will be connections there. And, and you know, I mean, it's just it's pretty incredible. It's just incredible. It really is incredible. And, you know, the wheels of justice are awfully slow, and I don't think we can really wait for them. One of the things that I've been become interested in over the last several years is propaganda and how it works and how you can try to counteract it. And letting people, providing the counter narrative that it's not enough to just say, well, it's not really... It's not really that the election, you know, Trump's saying it was a rigged election. If you come back and say, well, no, it wasn't, that isn't as supposedly as helpful if you come back and explain what Trump is trying to do with his counter narrative, you know, which is, of course, now I can't think of what, what a good counter narrative would be, but, you know, which is trying maybe to deflect from, it's just trying to put himself into a, a victim category. And that's how they did it with the Brooks Brothers riot as well back. The GOP did that in 2000. And Roger Stone was there too. Right. And um, deflecting from actual legitimate concerns. And then I I think it's important for the public to understand. So for example, that um, critical race theory and the supposed concerns about critical race theory and about mask mandates are only partially organic. I think those were manufactured largely to create moral outrage because that has been the GOP's number one propaganda strategy is, and Morton Blackwell of the Leadership Institutes has, it's, it's an infamous or famous quote of his where he says that moral outrage is the number one motivator, number one motivator of voters or something. He says it a little different than that but it's the number one motivating force. Hmm. And that's what they do is they manufacture it again and again. You see it on Fox News and you see it now at the school boards. They manufacture it from the top down through repetition. They manufacture thing, moral outrage. And the goal isn't really to get rid of masks and to 
maybe it's a little bit to stop certain types of teaching, but it's actually to really take over the school boards. That is their goal. And they're using this as a pretext. And I think it helps to get around some of the propaganda to understand what's happening and for the public to understand what's happening and to understand that it's coordinated and what the actual goals are of the CNP, you know, which are anti-abortion, anti-LGBTQ, and and really anti-public education. They want to defund the Department of Education. Mm -hmm. I think it's helpful. I think people deserve to know that. And I think that can help mitigate some of the propaganda that has just is running just rampant right now. Yeah. Now that's what we're trying to do. So (laughs) I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. You are trying doing such a, such a huge service because I mean, as you know, the corporate media isn't hitting a lot of these points. And I think part of it is just the breaking news format. It's not conducive to hitting these points. It's what's happening that second. No, it isn't. You know, and like we said, you can't fit the Mueller report on a bumper sticker. So it's just, and I'm not specifically only talking about that, but any, any of these major issues have complexities and need to be discussed in a longer format, not just in two or three minute sound bites. So I appreciate you coming on today and talking to us about this. And I hope to have you on again in the future, especially as 2022 rolls around because we are going to need a lot of, of disinformation battling on election security. And uh, I hope that you'll come back and join us. Well, thank you. I would love to do that. And I do want to give a quick plug for Shadow Network, which is all about the CNP. And it was written by a friend of mine, Ann Nelson. So I recommend that. Ann Nelson, Shadow Network. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Everybody, Jenny Cohn. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, Leguminati, it's Allison Gill. In the United States, businesses waste over 400 billion, with a B, dollars each year due to bad writing that causes confusion, misses the mark, or takes too long to get on point. On the flip side, better writing helps businesses win and impress customers and clients. It enhances brand perception, it improves internal communication, and it strengthens relationships with your partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for Teams. Going way beyond simple spelling and grammar correction, WordTune is the only AI-powered writing tool that understands meaning, and it offers writing suggestions that can help anyone achieve clear and compelling writing. It is the ultimate writing tool to elevate your entire team's writing instantly. I love using WordTune because it allows you to highlight any copy that you want to revise, and it gives you a number of alternative wordings while maintaining the original intent. You can shorten or lengthen sentences and even change the tone. WordTune improves performance on any project, everything from internal emails to press releases or sales outreach and customer service support. And you can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, etc. And you can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. So if you're looking to elevate your entire team's writing, you can get a discount for the team today at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. WordTune improves writing efficiency up to four times. Better, faster writing, better business. So start writing with WordTune at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by my favorite trail mix. It's called Toodaloo. Say goodbye to bland, boring, unhealthy trail mix used with, makes, like they make it with chemicals that can harm you and the planet. Because a lot of trail mix out there, and I didn't know this, is filled with processed sugars and dirty nuts, which sounds awesome. Dirty nuts, but it isn't. These are dry roasted nuts. And they're dry roasted in toxic toxic refined oils like canola, palm, or soybean. But not Toodaloo. Toodaloo is the world's first all-natural, totally delicious, climate-friendly trail mix packed with plant protein, superfoods, and adaptogenic herbs like lion's mane and ashwagandha to help balance and support your body and mind. Toodaloo comes in five flavors, chocolate, maple brittle, coffee, barbecue, and hot and spicy. And the ancient herbs in each flavor promote a specific function in the body, so it's all good. You get like better skin or better gut health or chill mood. And I love their barbecue flavor. It's called Smoke Show. It has 42 grams of plant protein in each bag. It's low in carbs and it supports energy flow. 
Toodaloo is grain-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free, processed sugar-free, and their packaging is plastic neutral. It's so satisfying delicious. And for every order placed, Toodaloo regenerates 100 square feet of polluted farmland back into rich, fertile soil. So nutritious snacks for you and a cleaner planet for everyone. And we've got a special deal for you. You get $5 off your first order of Toodaloo. Just go to toodaloo.com slash beans. That's T-O-O-D-A-L-O-O dot com slash beans. And Toodaloo's so confident in their product that each purchase has a 100% best taste guarantee. This will definitely become your favorite go-to snack. Seriously, the taste is amazing. So visit toodaloo.com slash beans to try it today. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And we're in dire need of good news uh, right now during these We times. really are. So please send it to us uh, at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And you can send any games that we're playing, What the Mud, or if you just want to tell us a story, if you have something you want to get off your chest, that's what this is for. Um, and, you know, you can remain anonymous if you want, or we can read your name and give your pronouns or not. And it's, uh, you know, thank you, everyone who sends in. I mean, the amount of news, good news and stuff that we get is just it's wonderful. And I appreciate all of you. All right. First up from Sarah, no pronouns given. Hi, AGDG and all my other morning constants. Like your listeners, listener, like your listeners, Sean, today, I really missed you while you were away last week. You've been my sole direct news source for many years after quitting mainstream media cold turkey. Again, like Sean, listening, reading, and watching was just too toxic. But back to the good part of my good news. I often smile when I have to pause the pod I, as I grind my beans because you are so much a part of my morning coffee ritual as my boiling kettle and French press. Oh, I love the French press. When you're away, my coffee just doesn't taste the same. So thank you for all the hard work you do to bring us intelligent analysis, brilliant guests, and the levity I need to set my mood for the day. For my pod pet tax, I'm attaching a find the cat pick. Oh, oh my God. Hard. Yes, it is. Because there's this is the whole entire living. Oh, found the cat. I got her. You did? Yeah. I'm looking. Or him. Looking. Oh, there. Oh, left of the couch, right? Left of the couch. Unless there's two. Yep. <laughs> little, little white kitty in a basket. Yep. White kitty in a basket. <laughs> that's what this <laughs> podcast should be called. <laughs> Little white kitty in a basket. In a basket. We'll call it L W K I B and just let people go, what's that? I know. It's one of the acronyms that AG knows from years ago. <laughs> this must be from the military. <laughs> <laughs> nope, just a little white kitty in a basket. <laughs> well, that's what we called. No, never mind. No, uh, stop okay. it. Okay, so... moving on. We've got Shonda. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's uh, Shanda. It rhymes with panda. Uh, as I have in parentheses, pronouns she and her. We've got Shanda. Hi, Beans Queens. I have a shit kid save for you. I've always been a huge smartass, and I swear like a sailor. When I was 13, my dad was taking my friends and I to the mall, and on the way there, I got into an argument. I can't remember what about. After getting fed up with my attitude, he said, God, you are such a little shit. To which I replied, well, you raised me, so I guess you must have been fucked up somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you raised me, so I guess you must have fucked up somewhere. Nice. That's epic. Because <laughs> you can't even do anything. You want to go, ah, oh, yeah. damn, she's right. Surprisingly, yeah. I never got in trouble. And to this day, my best friend and I frequently joke about it. I've included a picture of my baby girl, Miss Maddie. She's my little piggy and troublemaker. Thank you for all you do. I look forward to your podcast every weekday. Oh, look at this. Cutie. Oh. I want to rub a belly. 
That reminds me of something I said to my mom when she was yelling at me for something. And I said, why do I have to do, you know, you do this. And I said, why do I have to do this? And she says, because I'm the mom and you're the kid, right? And I put my hand on my hip. I was probably like four. And I said, yeah, well, I remember when I was the mom and you were the kid. (laughs) And then I just walked away. (laughs) Like, what kind of reincarnation fucking shit is that? Like, what was I talking about? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. All right. This kitty is adorable, by the way. Miss Maddie. All right. Next up from Ladybug. No pronouns given. Hey, Beans, Queens, AGDG, and AC. Thanks for all you do. Keeping your 50, 11,000 Beansters freaking entertained, as well as duly informed. Thanks to you both, I found myself following some dope-ass folks on the twits, as my husband says, and I've added a few podcasts to my listening tab. When will you ladies have a meetup for your San Francisco Bay Area patrons? Hmm. Hmm. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. And we will let you know. What a year it's been, she says, for my uh, husband and me. We've had so many rough patches in our young marriage and now in somewhat of a good place. Honestly, we'll say your podcast had an impact on us and we truly appreciate the daily reminder to take care of our mental health. Our cats, Asimi and Apollo, have been a con- have been a constant and helping to keep us sane as well. Apollo has gotten big and is still a terror. Attached uh, are our pod pet tax. Dana Apollo definitely has a man cat face. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, he yes, does. he does. <laughs> oh, but that's so cute. I like that kind of man cat face. <laughs> that is a man cat face. For He's a handsome, purposes. handsome, handsome. He is. All right, why don't you get. Uh, the next two here. I don't, I will. My, my, uh, that the name apologist made me laugh, reminded me I was with my niece and nephew over the weekend. And, uh, my niece was telling my brother-in-law a story and he, she said, uh, there's a kid in my class named Atlas. And my brother-in-law goes, does he have the weight of the world on his shoulders? And I <laughs> laughed so hard because it was the best. It was so calm. It was just the best dad joke. And then we moved on, but I was so proud of him. <sighs> All right. Uh, get really quick one from our lovely Lisa Miamor. Pronouns she and her. This is me fighting back. I voted no to the recall. Lisa Miamor, I did as well, and I got confirmation that my vote was counted. If you are listening and you're in California, I am imploring you to please. At this point, do not mail in your ballot. Don't. Walk it down to a ballot box because Joy is still in charge of the mail and that shit's slow as fuck. So please make sure your vote is going to be counted. Just walk it down to a box. Please vote no on this recall. My goodness. Okay. Yeah, if you're able, definitely. Yes. Um, we've got Lene, pronoun she and her. Stan Adelston, a wonderful member. I hope that's, I'm saying Adelston right. Adelstein. Adelstein. A wonderful member of the Black Hills community in South Dakota. Donated 90 $100 gift cards to be given to the first 90 people to attend a COVID vaccine clinic for his 90th birthday. Oh, my oh. God. What a mensch. Stan was quoted in a press release. My hope is that this vaccine clinic will save lives. In the Jewish faith, we believe, quote, to save a single life <sighs> is to save the world entire. A quote kills me. Oh, my goodness. The clinic was held... On September 2nd, uh, 2021, for five hours and 108 vaccinations were given. Stan donated a few more gift cards and Dan Davis chipped in in as well. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Dan. Oh, my God. I'm I'm having a hard time keeping it together on this one. Uh, Please please Google him for more information on his life and contributions. Again, that is Stan 
Edelstein, A-D-E-L-S-T-E-I-N. And when I said he's a mensch, I meant it. The Jewish faith. Yeah, he saves a single life, saves the world entire. I think that was what was engraved on the ring that Schindler's Jews gave to him. um, Oh, my goodness. Before he fled. (laughs) Okay. That's so great. That's so amazing. Happy 90th birthday. Indeed. Oh, wonderful. And I think this is the last one. Yeah, here finally from uh, Shauna. Pronouns she and her. Hey, beanies. I've been listening since day one at the kitchen table. Just wanted to share some good news and the ultimate story for your Flip It Blue segment. As a co-chair of the Bedford Democratic Committee in New Hampshire, we've been working day and night to elect an exceptional candidate to an open state rep seat in the New Hampshire House. In case you didn't know, the NH legislature has been taken over by extreme libertarians and during this last session passed, among other awful laws, an abortion ban at 20 weeks with mandatory vaginal ultrasounds, the most extreme school voucher bill in the country. Oh, and they banned CRT here, too. I thought libertarians were supposed to not want government to do things. Okay, yeah, pretty much all their favorite hits have been passed by these extremists. Well, yesterday, all of our hard work paid off. Catherine Rombeau, a former town councilor, won a seat in the New Hampshire State House. She is the first Democrat to win a previously Republican held legislative district in any state since President Biden took office. We're so excited and grateful for the help of our Democratic community here in town and across the state. We had so many people pitching in, writing postcards, making phone calls. We knocked on thousands of doors. We endured endless challenges from campaigning in the heat and rain to being yelled at during Uh, visibility to the constant disgusting defacing of our campaign signs. But in the end, we had more votes, 37 more votes to be exact. That's amazing. Thank you for being there for me as I've been working on this election. It has been invaluable to have this community as my voice of sanity. If we can flip this seat in very red Bedford, New Hampshire, there is hope for us all. Uh, All 37 of those votes came from your work and the work uh, of all the people that you did this with, Shauna. This is your victory and her victory, and this is just so wonderful. Now, I'm sure, Dana, that uh, all the mainstream media is going to sit down with all these voters and be like, this is a bellwether. This shows that Biden is doing well. And, you know, we should ask these, you know, these voters what they think about the... No, they're not going to do that. No, they're not. It's a nice thought, though. Yeah. Yeah, just that uh, they do that with everything else uh, that uh, Trump wins. But whatever. Uh, look at this photo. Yes. I love it. Such a, I can, uh, everyone's smizing because they have their masks on, as they should. Everyone's smizing <laughs> at the photo. Yeah. And then there's an, I see a Nevertheless She Persisted shirt. I love it. And a, a Be Kind hat. Oh. oh, I want to visit y'all and hug you all. I know. That's it's a good group, good group of peeps right there. Good work. Good. Yes, we got to get it done. And getting it done at the local level is how we turn it out for the national stuff and the state stuff. So absolutely. Hats off to you. All right. That's the show. Thanks for sending in your good news. Please send us more at uh, dailybeanspod.com. I always do that at uh, like I always forget. (laughs) Uh, Just please send it in. You know where you know where to go. Uh, To ag. I have some good news. I actually have good news today for myself. Ooh. Let's because it's it. September 9th when you're hearing this. And today is the day that my incredibly wonderful, beautiful, smart, terrific, supportive, loving, caring mother was born. So today is my mother's 77th <gasps> birthday. And I'm wishing my mom the happiest of birthdays. And I love oh. you dearly. Right at the beginning of the new year, too. Happy yep. birthday to your madre. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. 
do I have any good news? My, I'm almost have a bathtub and, and a toilet. That's a good news story. <laughs> Yay. And uh, yeah, now I guess that's it. I guess that's my good news. Uh, yours is much better. <laughs> well, I know, for the people around you, I'm sure your good news is much better. I'm just there the one are enjoying. no people around me, though, right? <laughs> your so cats are the- very appreciative. Your cats are appreciative of your shower and your bathroom. Oh, they stink way more than I do. <laughs> so I don't even want to hear it. You know, right now, Bruce friend. Willis is laying on my notebook, so I can't write the ending of this show. So we can't end it yet. Okay, here we go. Everybody you, until tomorrow. <laughs> you need to give Bruce Willis his own notebook. If people can buy a computer for their cats, you should get Bruce Willis his own notebook. I know you're totally right. So we have we have great shows planned for tomorrow. We're going to have uh, Mary Trump join us. So you definitely want to tune in for that because she's always a very, very important and thoughtful guest. And until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>